started reading this material, and uh, it ended up uh, uh, one day when I just kind of fell down into myself, and I said, if this is all there is, you know, living nine to five and, you know, having a family, raising children, whatever, mm -hmm. that, you know, I didn't want to live. And uh, this thought form came to me from three beings that I can only describe as like dew drops in the morning with sunlight shining on them. That said, gave me this thought form that said, your path is truth, your vehicle is honesty, and the fuel for your vehicle is love. And that completely turned my life around. And I realized that I had to do a lot of mental and emotional house cleaning. And it's been up ever since. And I got into the UFO material because it was, you could kind of kick the tire, so to speak, as whereas the spiritual stuff was uh, a little more difficult to get the big picture on that. So I tended to pick focus on both of them. But, but over the years, more and more on UFOs, and the different types of extraterrestrials that are operating on Earth right underneath our noses. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Wow. So, and um, so, how did you go about? I mean, you through this book and all this other stuff. Did you do? You know, the internet is very open to a lot of resource research. And um, is that where you started when with the internet? Yeah. Uh, I started way before the internet, um, mostly by snail mail. Uh, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, I was corresponding with people like UFO researchers like Bill Moore that I used to give grief about being involved with the intelligence community. And he would send me back my letters all edited and redlined because I was an awful speller. And so uh, I began interacting with quite a few people in the, in the UFO community as reading a lot of the literature. My dad always told me that when you get into a new field of study, the first thing you really want to do is not reinvent the wheel, is to study the literature. And so I started reading at some time in a little cabin that I had there on, I had built on Birdsong. I would read a book a day uh, on UFOs and near death experiences and uh, uh, encounter cases. And, and so over the years, uh, I've studied so many encounter cases, probably thousands of encounter cases. And from that, I can see patterns that uh, indicate what the big picture really is. And the big picture is that we're dealing with extraterrestrials here from highly predatory to highly altruistic. And once people understand that, then they realize, you know, you don't have to be afraid, you know, that as below, so above and that we live perhaps in a holographic universe. And if it's happening here, it's happening elsewhere. It may be in a more complicated fashion. And so once you realize that we have, you know, extraterrestrials here right underneath our noses, you know, maybe a hundred different species at least coming and going, some with bases underground in different places and whatever, from highly predatory to highly altruistic, you realize it's just like dealing with people. You know, it just takes time to understand uh, 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 each type of extraterrestrial and what their agendas and motivations are. And that takes decades. So in essence, ET has already disclosed in the last hundred years in these thousands and tens of thousands of encounter cases and maybe even millions of encounter cases when you get into the abduction phenomenon, you know, and the mantis craze and whatever, that you're dealing with something that's very complex, but it's understandable, you know, and so People come into this, you know, curious as to, you know, are there really craft and bodies? 
And then, you know, the next step is you start getting into the nitty gritty of agendas and motivations. And, and, and so there's a fear of the unknown to deal with at that point. And that's unnecessary because we don't have to be afraid. It's just like there's a lot of dangers in our world here on Earth and whatever. It's the same way, you know, out in space and as well as here with different types of extraterrestrials. Some you would like to hang out with and other ones you don't have much control over because they just pick you up and treat you like animals, you know, mm-hmm. that the abductees talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us, you know, about the ETs. You know, there's, what, three that, you know, everybody seems to know about or those that are involved with the UFOs. Can you explain to my listeners what type of um, ET there are? Okay, it gets complicated because you're talking about two different types of ETs. You're talking about master-slave societies or autocratic societies of extraterrestrials that have uh, maybe uh, GMO humans that they have partially created mm-hmm. and are part of their societies. And then you have human societies and other free races. And so you kind of got to discriminate between when you're dealing with extraterrestrials, are you dealing with, uh, uh, say, a Manus Gray race that, that's genetically engineering humans and the humans that are connected to them? Or are you dealing with somebody like the Nordics uh, that are the tall whites that, you know, are essentially free civilizations? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a complicated situation. And unfortunately, there's a mountain to climb and it takes a long time to really get a good understanding by studying encounter cases. And that's why I suggest if anybody reads one book, you know, my books are free and their people are welcome to read them for free. And they give some uh, overall understanding. But Audie Clark is an, another case that I'm involved uh, in presenting to people because what she did was that she was a Montana State uh, University professor that collected 4,000 indigenous cases over a 30 year period. And out of those, she drew on some of her best cases and gave a really good selection of actual people having face-to-face contact from highly predatory to highly altruistic extraterrestrials. And if anybody reads one book, you know, I would suggest, you know, more encounters with Starfield would be a really good place to start because it gives you kind of, it does the same thing my books do, do is it gives an overall perspective in which we can orientate ourselves in dealing with this, all these phenomena, you know, that are around us, right underneath our noses, but we're just really not smart enough to, or technologically savvy to be able to uh, know much about uh, what's going on, even here on our own planet, underground and in space and around the planet as well, you know, holy moly, you know, across the galaxy and, and into other galaxies. Mm-hmm. Now, let's, let's talk about your book, The New World Disorder. And what made you write that book? Uh, this book's called UFOs, Exopolitics, and the New World Disorder. Exopolitics was a word that Alfred Weber um, coined or was coined in the military, and he got a hold of it back in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I and several other people uh, got involved in exopolitics. And exopolitics basically just means the politics of the universe. It's how extraterrestrials get along with each other and interact just like, you know, our terrestrial politics here on Earth amongst Earth humans. And people need to realize that there are a lot of extraterrestrials are of human nature, and they seem to be genetically modified humans, both free 
and uh, perhaps enslaved or uh, controlled by other other entities and whatever. But uh, so, and quite a few of them have bases on Earth because I, what I noticed in my own local area is I got involved, in, you know, with building up my own intelligence gathering network, you know, and getting in the newspapers. And so people had my phone number and I was getting calls of UFOs twice a week. You know, there was that much activity going on in my local area. And I said, wow, you know, so I started bearing down and I had this uh, uh, library display at the library. And my friend, uh, King, my, the King, my friend, Marianne, uh, saw my display and she said, oh, wow, she didn't realize there was all this literature and so much. And she had been having typical Manus Gray uh, uh, experiences, blood on the sheets, nosebleeds. Uh, she and her sister were, uh, were in the same bed. So sometimes she'd have her sister's clothes on and her sister had her clothes on and things like that. And uh, after I interviewed her that night, in the middle of the night, I was woken up by like a buzzing of bees that said, stay out of it. It's none of your business. And I said, wow, you know, what am I getting myself into? So I kind of backed off and didn't proceed any further. And then two years later, she contacted me and she was interacting with more benevolent human extraterrestrials, the Nordic type. And she also had this friend, Kay that may be still alive, Marianne's dead now, but Kate may be still alive. And he had, had met these short, bell-chested extraterrestrials uh, down when he was fishing in the middle of the night on a creek and the banks were high apparently. And so the craft didn't, didn't pick him up on their scanners and they'd come down and take some water sample and they're doing some environmental studies. And as they walked back toward the, um, their craft, you know, he came out behind the tree and they started to run and he says, no way, whatever, I just want to meet you. And they kind of looked at him and stared at him, and then they started to laugh, and they started laughing at each other. They came back down and became good friends, and he began traveling with them. Mm-hmm. And this is a case in which I actually saw the craft. I've never had a face-to-face meeting with these extraterrestrials, but I had so much peripheral uh, data, you know, like in this case, uh, Marianne had, had, uh, was going to... Uh, let me see if I could shoot some pictures of UFOs. And I'd set up my camera with high-speed film and set it up, you know, so on the, across the field, there was a house where we could see the lights at night. So the lights showed up really just right on the film uh, um, as, a, as a test test and whatever. And this craft came down like a red, bright red light, a little purple in the middle. and But it didn't ever show up on my camera when I developed the film. And it hovered over the swamp and uh, like an airliner looking side on, on the side and the bright red light had become just one more little light amongst, amongst other navigational lights and maybe portholes on the craft. I think I was looking at a disc edge on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, Kay took off down across the field and then Marianne and I, Marianne really wanted to meet these extraterrestrials and we got down in the swamp and then she got scared and she said, hold my hand, I'm scared. And so I had to deal with her and he comes back out kind of laughing at the way she was reacting, and the ETs let, had, had left. And then that night, uh, they followed me home about 30 miles. Uh, this was up north of Cairo, Georgia. And uh, I live about 30 miles, 25, 30 miles south. And as I came into my driveway on the 60 acres that I owned, I saw two of the, two of the crafts go across the corner of my property. So two of them had followed me home that night. And then I had a lot of experiences with these contact friends. And Marianne then found another contact person when she had moved up to you near know, Moultrie 
that was that was dealing with nori types too but these were two females that were doing environmental studies and particularly in plants and 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 one of the things you when you get under you read a lot of these contact cases you start, begin to see patterns you can't trust any particular case or whatever but in this case they said that they these bts had a stasis chamber that in which they could stop time and they put their plants in it so they didn't have to have refrigeration or anything like that so you could put plants and animals in this box and they would stop the time so uh, it, they would be preserved and so I correlate there's there's another really nice little book that's uh let me get it here. Uh UFOs are with us, take my word by Leo Dorshank. And he talks about that these boys out on in in the nineteen thirties were out in the uh boonies of uh North Dakota and a craft came down and they watched it at several different times and it had a force field around it that stopped them from going towards the craft and apparently it also had a time field where they could actually when the boys actually were allowed on board they, they explained how they could stop time and at like a bird in flight or a missile or anything like that so they had the defensive perimeter around their craft that extended out several miles with two different kinds of force fields a time field and a and a um uh, a, a force field, and he saw. And on the force field, he saw a jackrabbit jump up and hit the and bounce off of the force field. Mm -hmm. And then he also saw where they had talked about they could stop a bird in mid-flight or a missile or whatever and study it by stopping the time. And then Preston Dannett had a really good case in which uh, a lot of times there's a silence, complete silence, and. This may have to do with a time field uh, around the craft or around the ETs and whatever, and which this one guy, everybody else was frozen, like frozen in time, but he was able to walk forward and communicate with the extraterrestrials within this field. So this field can be very selectively uh, modified so that it can separate out one person, you know, in one time and then stop time on everybody else. And then once the encounter is over, then other people around that were with this person had no idea what happened because they had been stopped in time. And wow. so you look for these patterns and these patterns add up over time and you begin to, you know, you can't really count on any one particular case because people tell stories and, you know, and, and the most public encounter cases quite often are fraudulent because uh, the people that really have real encounter cases every, have everything to lose and nothing to gain by talking about it, you know, because of the stigma. You know, they don't even tell their own uh, friends. They don't even tell their own family. Or they don't tell their own coworkers. And if they do, they're sorry they did. Mm -hmm. And so those are the cases that really intrigue me, like the places that Artie Clark uh, uh, has collected over a period of 30 years and put in her books that really give you a really good, broad understanding of what you're dealing with here and give you a roadmap. You know, you're, you're lost in the woods if you don't have a map or you, if you can't, if you don't know where you are, where you want to go, you're kind of lost in the woods. And that's when people get into UFO material and the, and the UFO community, uh, it just seems like an impossible amount of, uh, to, to, to get some kind of a general understanding in order to uh, maneuver. Mm -hmm. Interesting, very interesting, wow. So um, let's go back a little bit here. Um, let's talk about the ETs that are walking around on Earth. You know, 
um, that are half human and half ET. Yeah, some of them are, are hybrid hybrid types, and you know because of this hybridization program that the Mantis Grays are doing, you know, and some of them are free extraterrestrials that are basically doing like what they were doing in my local area. They were doing historical and uh, environmental studies. The two male uh, uh, Nordics uh, told, uh, were basically involved working with animals, whereas the two female Nordics were working with plants and because of all this, this kind of activity in my local area, if you extrapolate that out to the whole of society, and this is going on in everybody's backyard, there's just a tremendous amount of activity going on that's completely outside of our, our sphere of awareness. And so when you get into it, you got to be just really careful because the abductee problem is going to come up pretty quick because so many people are being affected by uh, the mantis grays, but the mantis grays are not operating in a vacuum. They have, they have relations with other extraterrestrials that they have to honor or they, uh, they all get into some kind of a war. In fact, the short human barrel chested ones told my contact person that they didn't like what the uh, gray, uh, mantis grays were doing, the abductions, but they said in order, if they tried to do something, it would start a war. So it's kind of like, uh, a co coexistence that we have here between a lot of di different diverse societies on earth and we try to stay out of wars but we end, end up getting in them you know sooner or later you know but we you know play this little game of of uh, dance in order to not be constantly in conflict and so it's real important to realize that you're dealing with hybrids you're dealing with some uh, uh gmo humans even even the the Nordic races, for instance, uh, the two Nordics one day, one day uh, uh, this was recounted to me by Kay, they, they visited him in his house and this nosy jet started circling the area and their craft, they said, would only uh, beam a person up on the beam up 500 feet. So they had to wait and they, they didn't eat meat. They did have a beer with him. And he had a penthouse magazine on, on the table and they picked it, one of them picked it up and asked him why they needed that. <laughs> so they don't know everything, you know, so they're learning just like we're learning. And another contact person who was dealing with what he called was, was ET tourists. They would just appear next to him while he's working on his car or something. And he'd have to explain Christmas, Christmas to them. And so he would call, call them stupid ETs because they didn't even know what Christmas was. Mm -hmm. And so you have this tremendous amount of activity and a lot of these beings look almost exactly like us or like the tall whites. They can disguise themselves a little bit with dark glasses and clothes and, and enter our society and whatever. And I was even told locally that these barrel chested types actually went into, uh, into Walmart when Walmart was closed at night and, looked, and were looking around one time. So they're curious, they're people, they're just like us. The short human types probably were evolving on a planet that has a higher gravity than ours, whereas the tall whites are kind of thinner and, and taller and a bit fragile. So their planet may have had less gravity and evolved into perhaps with less gravity. And some of them are coming, are local for our local sector of this galaxy, like the barrel-chested types said they came from a, a, a planetary system about 12 or 12 and a half light years away. And the tall whites told Charles Hall that they came from, I think, 
I forgot how many light years that was. And it took them, I think, two weeks to get here to their base in Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, and then that was kind of like just a pit stop to going elsewhere. And they developed relations with our with uh, Charles Hall and also with our government because they said like the laws of economics, just like the laws of nature and the laws of physics, apply everywhere. And it was a lot more efficient for them to just cut uh, tech, trade technology for supply their base than it was to ship all their base materials in. And so you realize it's not all that different than what we have here on Earth, just a lot more complex and we can understand this and we don't need to be afraid when we get into abduction cases and whatever and with the predatory extraterrestrials because they, you know, they think they own us, but they, they really don't. And that we have, you know, options that we can do if we can ever develop a situational awareness uh, throughout our society to be able to deal with it. But exactly the wrong thing is happening with an 80 year old cover up that's destroyed the public situational awareness. So, so people are vulnerable, and the worst thing that can happen to prey is for the prey to lose situational awareness to the predator. And so secrecy uh, it only you know is only helping the predatory extraterrestrials, and it's hindering the more open uh, uh, ethical extraterrestrials from helping us and whatever. So our governments and the military have been kind of manipulated into doing exactly the wrong thing of circling the wagons. You know, instead of opening society up and let us all deal with these issues, they just instead done exactly the opposite. And the only people that are going to extraterrestrials are going to benefit from 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 the cover up are the ones that are doing things that are harmful to our society. And the military thinks they're protecting us, but they're actually doing the opposite. They're actually hurting all of society and destroying the society in the process. Do you think that the military? Um yeah, yeah, what you just said, afraid that the public will get too involved and be more on the side of the ETs and want their support than the military. Well, that's one of the problems with the, the, the global elite. You know, that's why I called it the, not the New World Order, but the new, new World Disorder, which is the New World Order was really that was first came out with the Theosophical Society and Bovensky, I think it was back in the 1800s of a new a new, or, new world order of enlightenment. But that's kind of, kind of been picked up by the old old order as kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing. And those people that are basically controlling that control what the finances on this planet and and gov even governments and whatever the Bilderberg group people and all this they, super elite they are they don't want uh, us aligning ourselves with extraterrestrials and it's kind of like some people in Syria realizing how well things are in Europe you know they want to escape Syria and go to Europe and it'd be the same problem that that if once people got a total understanding of this they might not you know want want a different image want to, they will see other governments and whatever that's so much more beneficial. That they will not look favorably on the way you know things are controlled. So it's a complicated thing because then on the other hand you have the military that sees some of the horrific things of you know uh, cattle mutilations, human mutilations. You know some stuff's going on down in Peru right now. You know I've been kind of following on Twitter, uh, and they don't think the public should know about it because they think you know there's nothing they can do about it and so there's nothing the public can do about it but that's wrong because when people people have the protection of the herd 
they they can protect themselves from predator. But if they if, if the herd is 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 the awareness of the herd is destroyed, you know, then it's it, we're open to predation. And a lot of our people are being abducted, abducted and treated just like we treat animals, you know. And the problem with the abductees have is is that they see the craft come, get them. But then uh, when they're picked up, they're affected by both the mental powers of the mantis grays and atmospheric gases in the crafts. And so their memories are very uh, hard to recall or broken up just the same way if an animal that's been tranquilized. And then the only thing the animal really remembers is the craft coming and then the craft going away after it's been tranquilized. And that's kind of the same way with abductees. So I think the real important cases are where people have face-to-face accounts uh, that have not been affected by the atmospheric gases and the mental control. And according, supposedly, according to one case in Artie Clark's book, that uh, that only one out of 20,000 people is not affected by the uh, atmospheric gases and the extraterrestrials don't know, uh, uh, and mental powers, and they don't know why, and they're actually studying that person to try to figure out why that person's not being affected. And so that person really had a chance to study what was going on, and it wasn't good. The, the people that were resisting were actually being inflicted with more pain than the than the complacent people that were tranquilized and weren't, weren't fighting back. And so there's a kind of a vengeful aspect to these these mantis types and these mantis grays for resistors, and to make the situation deliberately more painful for resistors than they do for complacent. They like complacent people. They don't like resistors. Interesting. I interviewed um, a woman that was on my show. She was abducted many times, and they were taking her ovaries, and um, not ovaries, but her eggs, excuse me, eggs, and reproducing. And they take sperm samples from men. Yeah, and then reproducing. And then she'd be get pregnant for about up to six, I think six weeks or a little bit longer. And then they take the baby from her. You know, they yeah, I have fr- friends that this has happened to, too. Yeah, they adopt her and then they take her, her, her baby. And then she said also, too, she saw on the air, on the ship, she said it's like a reproduction ship. You know, they. Yeah, just, that's right. And then she it's also there. saw men and women watching, but they were fear for her yeah and i think that's a deliberate aspect by the by the uh manus to to show you know high level military and political figures what they were doing to scare them to circle the wagons and to keep this quiet and not tell the people what's going on and it's worked it's worked for 80 years so it's not just our own people that that are all here for you know out of greed or fear or whatever there's there's an extraterrestrial uh thing going on here too in which they're using you know the carrot and the stick on our leaders to get them to go the direction they want to go to secrecy and you know and not tell you what's going on because the last thing a predator wants is is the prey to understand you know where the predator is and what the predator that the predator is sneaking up on them mm-hmm. and so if you destroy people's situational awareness you know you turn them into prey they got no they got no way to protect themselves they're working together as a herd against a predator mm-hmm. and the and the predator just picks up and just pick off you know pick off prey so there's the laws of nature you know are, are, are just like the laws of physics they apply across the universe they don't just apply here on earth 
Mm-hmm. And in nature, you have both competition and cooperation. And the more ethical extraterrestrials, they operate on a principle of win-win or, you know, uh, or uh, of cooperation, whereas the predatory extraterrestrials operate, you know, on, on a lower uh, consciousness scale of, of uh, win-lose. And so we've really got to gain our situational awareness of what's going on right underneath our noses for our own benefits and for the benefit of society and the benefit of, of, of even a greater society, human society, even that extends, you know, probably across the universe because apparently human genetic material is valuable, you know, uh, in all these uh, hybridization and crossbreeding operations that apparently go on. You know, uh, not only just here on this planet, but a, a lot of other different places. So it seems like human genetics is scattered all over the place, as well as when they be a time factor here that these, these, all these craft may be able to go backwards and forwards in time, just like they go in space. So that can complicate even matters. So some of these humans could actually be future humans that we're interacting with and where some of them are just GMO humans that have extended their lifespans to a thousand years or more. And they have like perfect complexions, perfect teeth, you know, very beautiful, kind and loving people. And that's uh, the upside to all this is there's, we have great potential and opportunities to ally ourselves with the more ethical types and not sink down in this morass of, of the predatory extraterrestrial types that are a lot like we are and, and treat us just like we treat animals. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just don't like when they abduct, like some of the women that I've talked to who were abducted, they were angry because they did not want to be abducted. Yeah, those are the resistors, and those are the ones that are mistreated even more. You know, the the the, the complacent people are often tra- tra- you know, they tra- try they try not to hurt them any more than they have to for the procedures. But the resistors, they go. This is what this one lady found out. You know, in the case of Bernardi Clark, was is they treat the resistors differently. They actually inflict pain on the resistors because they don't like they don't like the resistors. Yes. And make things even worse for the resistors than they do for the people that are complacent, because what they're trying to do is is breed complacent uh, human beings to you know facilitate their activities, not only on this planet but on other planetary systems that I think they have colonized. Mm-hmm. There's a gentleman that I tried to get him to come on my show, but he was a little bit of a mess, nervous about it. But he mentioned to me that they tried to clone him. Yeah, that's 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 another case in the Hardy Cart books is is that uh, that was beneficial that that these two I think two or three boys uh, they they as they grew up as small boys they would go into the woods and they would play with these other boys that looked a lot like them and they would go into this place that was nice and cool and whatever after they were played and it was hot you you know and, and whatever. And this might have been in North Dakota or South Dakota, I'm not sure. And the upshot was is that they had, that they had been cloned, and that the three boys that were cloned actually were cloned for a reason. And the reason was is that they were to be cultural anthropologists to study us on Earth from kind of from the inside out by mingling with us and being involved with us. And the one person that she had contact, I think he was operating in Washington, D.C., and he said he couldn't be a cultural anthropologist because when he saw what was happening to people or really bad things that are happening to people, he wants to try to help them, so he couldn't really be objective. Mm-hmm. And 
So they were actually had clones that they to, to live amongst us in order to study us. Mm-hmm. And that's one that's that's a really good case in Artie Clark's books. Mm-hmm. And um, I also met a woman. This is I met her face to face, and she was cried and was very upset that she went to a party and she met one of these, you know, creatures and had intimacy with this person. And then the person had, he had no feelings, no emotions, no, it was like, she said it was like cold, very, very cold. And then she saw the face features changed. And yeah. Well, what they can do, the, 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 the man is, the man is, the types and the grays, what they can do, they have such ability to the mind control that they can appear as a human right. and interact with you as a human uh, and with most people. But there's a few people they don't, and they don't really like older people because they're harder harder to control and they're harder to fool. Mm-hmm. And so that they tend to favor younger yeah, uh, right. younger people. And that was probably what was happening is, is that they, that they, and they actually do that on the craft too, to get males and females to, there's some cases in Artie Clark's book and to get males and females to reproduce right there on the craft. And there actually seem to be some males that are actually cooperating and aware of what was going on, but she didn't want to interact with them because she was afraid her cover would be blown. Mm-hmm. And she was studying the whole situation. Wow. Wow. And yeah, I heard that the women, you know, have female and stuff where, you know, these creatures um, are very good looking, very enticing to the man. So, yeah, well, it, 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 yeah, if they're GMO and whatever, you know, they can, you know, create, you know, uh, bodies that are, you know, perfected bodies, right. you know, and they, and, and these apparently are not free. These are not free, uh, humans. These free are under the control of the Manda type. Right. And it's an insectoid race that involves, I just did an article on this. There was a Russian, uh, the Russians apparently were, uh, had a, a mine situation. They were mining and setting off explosives and, and a deep mine. And they uh, broke into a tunnel uh, that was connected to the bandits, crazy insectoid type race that was doing these abductions and whatever. Uh-huh. And several of the security personnel, bandits security personnel, came up and they sent off a second explosion, you know, you know and it, it killed some and it blinded the others and they captured them. Or they were allowed to be captured. The bandits were so deceptive, you don't know, you know. The, the man should have been able to not let them be captured. He should be able to got them back even if they captured them or whatever. But apparently they allowed them to be captured. And so there's this op- autopsy report that was leaked on the Mantis, and you know, in great detail. But uh, I can only write so much because it's so it's all this uh, biochemistry and bio um, uh, molecular biologist stuff, you know, that's really hard to understand as to how the mantis were able and insects on this planet have never evolved a good respiratory system in order to grow large. But mm-hmm. apparently somewhere on some other planet they did and actually developed lungs just like, you know, uh, to, to be able to handle oxygen. And so they grew to over some of them over to two, meet, two meters tall. Mm-hmm. And they have a system like termites and ants, it's a social system that's a caste system in which you have the elite or the intellectuals that control everybody all the way down to the work, the lowest worker. 
And they also, ants and termites, and also able, you know, like ants actually farm aphids. You know, they, 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 they protect the aphids, but the, the aphids give out a little bit of you know, a drop of nutritious uh, sweet to the ants in return. And so the ants actually control other species within their own uh, social structure and whatever. And this seems to be what the insectoids are doing. And that's my article number 27 of my, of my articles that I've written that pretty much catch people up on what I've been up to in the last uh, year since I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. And, and from 1 to 27, and they're at my uh, komarek.weebly.com portal site. You can go to the articles for publication, and you can start reading down the articles. They get more and more complex, you know, as as I get to the articles. I'm trying to give a good briefing of people to people of what this is all about, you know, and try to bring them into it. A little bit by a little bit. Otherwise, it's just a lot of the stuff that I'm saying and whatever doesn't make any sense unless people can experience the context mm-hmm. of what I'm talking about. I have a question to ask you as it came up here. What do you do if you run into one of these? You know, um, what or what if you don't know? And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of the situation with these creatures, <laughs> you know, what does the... the what does a lion out on the Serengeti, you know, can do when when a helicopter comes flying up with a dart gun? Mm-hmm. Not much you can do. <laughs> you know, but you're going to get darted. What if you end up dating? There's a lot of single people out there. What if you end up dating? When, oh, the, oh, he's so good looking. He's handsome. But he has a strange personality. He doesn't have a sense of humor. That's what I heard, yeah. that they don't have a sense yeah, well, of they, humor. Been, the, the manners are, are, are very powerful have very powerful mental abilities. They can make you think or believe almost anything. And you got a lot of people that are being that they're abducting that have Stockholm syndrome. They, have, they may be getting something benefit because of a maybe under, a greater understanding, you know, of the universe or whatever. But they're still being abused and victimized and preyed upon. And there's not a lot you can do uh, under those circumstances, other than you know, try not to to to, to Go negative. Try not to get angry. Try not to go negative, and try to fill yourself with love and compassion. You know, and maybe other types of extraterrestrials may be able to guide you out of that bad situation that you, that that's no fault of your own. That you basically are in the same position as a wildebeest that got darted. You know, on the plains of Africa. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and your blood. They took you. They, they took your blood, and they and they weighed you, and they did all these other different things. They may even be crossbreeding your wildebeest for something else. You know, whatever. <laughs> and like my dad, he was part of what he did. He was a fire ecologist, but he also ran a, a Greenwood plantation, and they had a hybrid seed corn business on this plantation, uh, and. We went to the Hopi. He went. He found out the Hopi Indians. They had a drought resistance problem here in the southeastern United States with hybrid seed corn, mm-hmm. and he wanted to get drought resistance into the seed corn. And so he found out the Hopi Indians could plant their corn two feet underground down in the desert where there was moisture, and it would come all the way up to the surface and flourish. Mm-hmm. And so we went out there as kids every for a while in the fifties. We went out there every uh, summer. For about three weeks, and Dad communicated and collected hybrid, collected uh, their native seed corn with the drought resistant, and they crossbred it into the hybrid seed corn to build up drought resistance in the hybrid seed corn. So that's what 
we have very powerful immune systems because we're subject to all kinds of infections and diseases and whatever. We have very most robust immune systems, and apparently which we got from the Neanderthals when the Neanderthals were prospecting with early humans. And so these are valuable. This is valuable genetic material when you're building GMO humans, you know, or other types of extraterrestrials in order to boost their immune system. So that's essentially what they're doing. Is what they're they're going back to a primitive, more primitive uh, species, you know, in order to get uh, some of these desirable genetic qualities to breed into their hybrid species. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is so fascinating. Well, first of all. Um, let my listeners know where can they find your books? Is it on Amazon? Can they go there? Can they? Do you have a website? Uh, the website is probably the best place to start. It's the, my books are all free. Uh, you can also on the ExoPolitics book you can get a PDF of it as well as read it on the website. Mm-hmm. The other two books you can read on the website. And they can be ordered on print and Kindle from Amazon if you if you prefer to read them and you can afford it. But I wanted all my material to reach as many people as possible all over the world, especially in places like Russia and whatever, where a price of a book is a month's wages. And so I made them free, and I and and uh, so they can go to k o m a r e k dot weebly dot com, which is my part portal website and all three books are there as well as up at the top of the page there should be articles for publication and then uh a a ufo shoot down and i forgot what else i had up at the top of the page but those the once you've read the books you know you can go to the articles to publication the articles for publication the 27 articles give you a really good rundown of what I've been up to and doing and uh, uh, trying to help other people to adjust post cover up to what's coming down. This, this is all going to get dumped on the people very quickly. And most people are just curious right now, not even sure if ETs exist. Mm-hmm. And then you're getting into situations like the abduction phenomenon and whatever. And so your fear factor and there's no, it's not, the fear is not going to help anything. And you've got to get kind of past the fear and develop an understanding of what's going on, that you're be, that we're not the top predator on this planet and we're being preyed upon just like we preyed upon animals. Okay. And, but there's a better way for everybody. There's a better way for us. There's a better way for the managed graves or whatever to evolve to the point of cooperation of a win-win in which the more advanced ethical extraterrestrials operate from. And that's where our future really should lie and not you know lie with, uh, other beings a lot like ourselves. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, my listeners and me have enjoyed you on my show, on the Phenomena NDE, and uh, I would like to have you come back in 2024, in January, and continue this because there's so much to talk about. I want to get into the military, and, you know, what down deep into what they are doing and what we can do to protect ourselves, if we try to get abducted, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's, this, there's so this many... is all in my writings and whatever. So people, if they don't want to wait till 2024, and just get that, into just I get know, into my okay. books and that's then my okay. articles for publication. But they would like to hear from you as well. You know, hear from you mm-hmm. as well as reading your book. And um, but I do like to thank you so much for coming on, and um, I will have you back again, hopefully in January and uh, we can go from there.
You keep going. I appreciate being able to get the word out. You're doing a wonderful thing for for all these people, that, especially these abductees that are, are being so traumatized and injured by this, of no fault of their own. Right, and we can talk about the. I want to get more into the deducts, you know, being deducted and uh, against your, our will, and uh, we can go into more depth of this, um, you know, ET, you know, experience and stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, let's give, let's give people kind of a, a broader perspective to think about things that we're dealing with. I mean, the important thing is that we're dealing with highly predatory to highly extraterrestrial type beings and that it's as, as below, so above, and that we can understand this and can deal with this as a society. And some of right. it we can deal with as individuals to get out from underneath this, but uh, some, a lot of it's going to have to be, we're going to have to come together as a society to be able to free, free ourselves from essentially being farmed by right. these uh, predatory extraterrestrials right. and treated like cattle. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, okay. Ed, for coming on. And for those who are listening in and uh, just tuned in, please go to his books. He has three books. They're out on Amazon. You can also go to his website. And um, I'll post his website out there for you and uh thank you ed for coming on and i definitely want you back in january okay thank you you're welcome if any other information news before then you know save it up and we will discuss it in january yeah and read those books by Artie clark if possible yes and um <laughs> we will discuss all that thank you so much and for everyone listening in have a great evening Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.